Fresh Art International presents conversations about creativity in the 21st century. This is Fresh Art International. I'm Kathy Bird. Our podcast explores the center and fringe of art scenes across six continents. Today, we take you to South Florida. Every December, the cognoscenti and the curious make their way here from around the world to show, see, collect, and celebrate contemporary art. It's press preview day at the Art Basel Miami Beach Art Fair in 2018. Sijo, a Miami-based Korean-American visual artist, allows us to shadow her as she navigates the complex maze of art displays vying for everyone's attention. With a clear sense of purpose, Sijo has mapped her course across the 500,000-foot expanse of the Miami Beach Convention Center. She's here to document exceptional work in the photographic medium. Sijo's writing and images will appear in an Art Basel Miami Week diary that she contributes to the bilingual online photographic publication L'Oeil de la Photographie, The Eye of Photography. I'm excited to explore the fresh expressions, new, and those that have been around and see what uh, Miami Basel has to offer, but also integrate local voices as well. You might have seen C. Joe's photography and writing in Washington, D.C., at the Smithsonian National Portrait Gallery in 2011. Her project, Kiopo, looks at American immigration and identity through the lens of Korean ancestry. The displays she chooses to visit at Art Basel Miami Beach resonate with her interest in portraiture. On our first stop, we visit Pachi Contemporary from Brescia, Italy. Gianpaolo Pacci introduces us to the gallery's featured artist, Nancy Burson. Burson is an American artist known for creating some of the earliest photographs using computer morphing technology. She was doing so much amazing work with digital manipulation prior to the internet phase, which I found astounding. And you see a lot of these references with like, Thomas Struth and, and other individuals that have been doing these things, but I'm thinking, hey, this was before some of this work that I was used to thinking about when thinking about digital manipulation. And I wanted to know if you can speak more about why she's so important. I have my own opinions about it, but I'd love to know from, from your angle and also perhaps from her angle. She was the pioneer of the, the process that was called the morphing. So she just started to work about in the end of the 70s. Her idea was to, to create uh, the possibility to manipulate the photography, the portrait photography, and so she introduced the new way. She was the pioneer because she was like uh, 20 years before the Photoshop, but she realized that in the 70s and the first years of the 80s. So she realized the concept how can be the people after 10 years, 15 years, you know. Her relationship was with photography, but in the same time with the computer age of the 70s and the 80s. She introduced, for example, the, the process of the 
missing person that now, for example, FBI work on that file that she created in the in the 80s. How can be the people was missing and after 10 years how how he can be. So, so she is. helped to develop that identification system. Yeah. Yes, uh, she created the file that uh, was using from FBI in that time too. So for the missing person, for example, yes. Do you know what compelled her to explore this world of digital manipulation pre-Photoshop, pre-internet world? How did she come across exploring this as encasing much of her body of work? The start was in the 1974 when she went to MoMA Museum and she looked at the show on Nam Jim Pike. She was totally attracted from, from that, and she has a great passion on the painting, on the drawing. But then she opened the mind to try to realize what is possible. But in the 76, 77, she has just in, in mind the idea of the man machine, the time machine, so to realize like a special box where you can see the people in a different type like race or uh, what they can be if I was uh, black or if I was Asian or if I, if I was... But the, the technology was not possible in that time. So she studied with a lot of engineers, the end of the 70s and then in the start of the 80s. And then she started to work on that system. In 1989, Vogue magazine commissioned Nancy Burson to create an especially remarkable cover image. They request an image about her process and so she created a combination of the four most uh, important uh, top models of that time and she created that fantastic beauty face but doesn't exist. When I first was looking at some of the photographic artists and the representations here, I really feel like she was just a front runner and just she, understanding she, and exploring she, identity. Like shine sense, you know? She, she yeah. created a combination with shines, uh, with photography, so she create a great revolution, and she was the, the pioneer, absolutely, so that. Next, we meet Jared Quinton, Associate Director of Rona Hoffman, Chicago. Quinton takes time to deconstruct the symbolism in a photographic wall installation by artist Lorna Simpson. Simpson is an African-American photographer and multimedia artist who became known in the 1980s and 90s for her singular approach to portraiture. I'd love for you to talk more about her and her process and what this piece is all about. Of course. Yeah. So Lorna Simpson, she's a conceptual photographer who emerged in the late 80s, early 90s when a lot of artists were really thinking about identity in a new way. Um, so she invented this form of conceptual photography, breaking down stereotypes about the body um, and mixing sort of imagery and language to think about the different ways that, uh, you know, a photo isn't just a photo. It involves context and different words and associations you make with a photo really change how you read uh, a photograph. She's doing some wordplay with female attraction, attract females and she's isolated high heels and a shoebox and then a woman in a men's blazer who you don't see her head. She's sort of refusing to be photographed and turning away. She's thinking about stereotypes but then also how to like refuse them or resist them and how photography is useful for that. 
This is from almost uh, 30 years ago now, and so her practice has developed so much. And obviously the stuff she's doing now is really incredible, and she's doing moving to painting and just really thinking about abstraction in a different way. It's such an important early work of hers that we couldn't resist the opportunity to share it. I think it's really interesting to pair an artist like Lorna with now a very contemporary artist like Dina Lawson, next generation African-American artist, but clearly working in the legacy of Lorna, I think, as far as like thinking about the representation of African-American culture and identity through photography. We're curious about the stories behind the intimate portraits by Deanna Lawson that are on view. Lawson is an American photo-based artist whose work examines the body's ability to channel personal and social histories, addressing themes of familial legacy, community, romance, and spiritual aesthetics. Every portrait that she shoots really develops from the grain of a social interaction. It's not paid models or friends or people she knows, but it's people she meets on the streets or people she meets on her travels. Through getting to know them, sort of orchestrates these very intimate scenes, but as intimate and familiar as they feel, there's always something a little bit mysterious or a little bit off, and you don't quite know what's going on. You really get that in the work. They're so lush and beautiful, they're almost like paintings, like every detail is very considered. But at the same time, as cozy as they sometimes feel, there's also a little bit of like a, oh, like I actually don't know what's going on A here. few weeks later, we sit down with Sijo and her studio, a light-filled loft that looks out over Biscayne Bay in Miami. Life has taken the artist to D.C., New York, Beijing, and beyond. We want to know more about the ways she explores ideas of identity, beauty, and belonging through photography, video, and text. It initially started with just photography and text through narratives. Through my first project, Kyopo, which is actually a Korean term that defines someone who lives outside of the Korean peninsula, a person of Korean ancestry. It was an exploration of identity, somewhat from a personal standpoint and also from the fact that just being in New York at that time when the project started, I didn't see many books or material out there that really represented this marrying of multiple cultures from the standpoint of being an American and having uh, Korean ancestry. And so I decided to begin that project in November of 2004. What you're doing with your work is you're analyzing different cultural nuance. It was a fascinating exploration because it was something that I didn't fully envision when I started it. I saw like a layout or a spread of the book and. I wanted to explore people's relationships with their cultural backgrounds, with their ancestral backgrounds, their heritage, and their nationality, and how they chose to define themselves. And that was fascinating because they're individuals that have all made their own decisions. They are layers of their own experiences and their upbringings. 
they are also of their nationality. And I think that's something that people forget because sometimes there are assumptions based on how you look. If you look at the project, you'll see a lot of Asian individuals. There's a collective portrait and one can easily assume, oh, this is about just Asia. It's an Asian related project, but it's much more than that because the majority of these individuals, they speak English, that's their first language or Danish or Norwegian or French, and they grew up in other parts of the world outside of the peninsula. And I think it just speaks to a lot of different experiences, especially of, of those that immigrate to America in the sense that they have different layered backgrounds and different connections with culture. And it was fascinating just to see how they navigated through these different experiences and how they've chosen to become who they are today and, and how that is still continuing and evolving. It was really looking specifically at the Korean it was, ancestry. It was looking at Korean ancestry because it was something that was curious from my standpoint being of Korean ancestry. It was something that I haven't seen. I didn't see any material at that time photographically that engaged individuals who were immigrants, who were of different nationalities that have Korean ancestry. I mean, the only individuals I knew were people that were family and, re and related to me or close friends. I was really surprised with all the different types of stories that came forth that covered so many different types of topics, from generational issues to social pressures to expectations of being one way versus the other, having certain kinds of cultural social pressures that happen either from the American side, the Western side, or the Asian side. And I don't think there was a lot that spoke to that, at least from the photographic end, and it was something that definitely materialized and snowballed into something bigger than I actually expected it to become. And that also had to do with the participants and the community as well. And I, I give credit to them and their participation and their support for helping to bring it more into conversation. That's what I think is really interesting to me about your work is that you're not just a photographer in, by any means. You are taking time to record the stories, the subjects are all Asian, but their stories are so diverse. Text is complementary to the image. Text can always, at least with my work, try to offset some of these assumptions, some of these judgments that we have towards people based on how they look. In different areas, we grow up with these cultural conditionings of identifying other people that look a certain way to be a particular kind of personality. And I find that fascinating because how can somebody just have a judgment like that when they don't even know the individual and their experiences? And so logically to me, it doesn't make any sense. But then obviously when you look at the way we are all maybe uh, affected by the influences, by the cultures that we grow up in, we find these uh, microaggressions that can exist. And I love to be able to dissect them, to be able to facilitate a kind of conversation a dialogue that can help us 
critique ourselves and the way we think, to question the way we think and why we do things. And I think being in different contexts in different cities also continues that conversation through different bodies of work to be received, to be assumed to be a certain way by different communities can be quite amusing or surprising. In the work that you have continued since 2010 called Beauty, what are you after with that project? Beauty was something I have been thinking about since I was younger because my background was in fashion and also being of Korean ancestry, I'm well aware of the surging beauty industry, especially coming from Seoul, and also understanding how beauty is recognized commercially within the Western context. And it was something that fascinated me in the sense that different cultures shaped their own definition of what was beautiful. Why are we mesmerized by this notion of beauty, especially when it comes to enhancing, quote unquote, our identities to engage and increase our opportunities in the world. I wanted to just play on that in regards to facial manipulation. And I wanted to play around with features that people tend to manipulate and demanipulate or switch in terms of Western context and Asian context. And have the viewer form their own opinions as to what they prefer and why. And hopefully that would help them critique what is shaping our desires to look a certain way. Are we shaping it? Is it inherent? Or is it something that's being manufactured and contrived and shaping us subconsciously and we don't know it? So I think we need to always be aware of that and, and question how we're presenting ourselves and why. And you had presented three aspects of beauty so far. The eyelid crease. That's a very the, common surgery, yeah. The, the eye crease. color. And what was the third one? It's the nose. But there's also different types of, there's chin, you know. I, I think people that are in the beauty industry, they, they know, especially those in, in Korea, uh, they are doing a lot of sculpting. And it's, it's fascinating to me also, the fact that there's so much sculpting and why there's so much sculpting involved. And I think some part of it has to do with the level of competition in regards to the opportunities out there and the dense population. So it's really not saying that sculpting is a bad thing. It's just saying, why are we doing what we're doing? Why are we putting makeup on the way we are putting it on? And why do we prefer this? It revolves around a continual exploration of identity. Well, no wonder you were attracted to the work of Nancy Burson that you took me to discover at Art Basel Miami Beach. Yeah, she was just fascinating. I don't think a lot of people know about Nancy's work. I didn't work. know. I didn't know. Yeah. And talk about beauty. Yeah. The manipulation she did. She is so amazing. A pioneer. And it's really important to also explore historically what has been done. It helps keep us aligned and aware of what we're doing and why we're doing it and what we want to explore and how we want to further explore a topic. Two artists that we explored at the fair were 
Lorna Simpson and Dina Lawson. And I thought both of those juxtaposed ideas of beauty and identity and race. Yeah, yeah I think work, obviously, from that perspective is intriguing for me because that's something that I, I like to explore as well. And, um, I think we're all sometimes consumed with our own perspectives and we forget that there are so many other individuals that are having either similar experiences or different experiences and there's so much that we can learn from it. I love how they're able to portray their own voice with some of the experiences perhaps that they may be going through as a black American woman. I think that voice is also growing stronger within the art industry. I'd like to also see the Asian American voice grow stronger as well. And I haven't seen enough of that in this context yet, but I think that may change over time. Were there other discoveries you made at the fair? <laughs> Something else that really struck you as significant as it relates to your own work? I really was drawn to Zanella Mahole's work. Her cabinet salon installation was really powerful for me. I liked the way the f images were laid out. It wasn't in a linear fashion. You really felt transported to another place, and it was a combination of different bodies of work all placed together so beautifully where you did leave impacted, knowing a little bit more perhaps about what her messaging was within her body of work. And in this case, it was with the LGBTQ community in the context of South Africa and uh, some of the difficulties of being fully who you are Obviously, hate crimes are involved, but there's joys and celebrations as well, and she captured that quite nicely. Was there any experience that you had that you feel will influence any of the projects that you're working on now? I think there's a similar voice that's going on with select artists in terms of building a platform that shares your narrative your personal experiences through identity. That's a refreshing discovery to see. There is a change that's happening. The voices of different people from different communities are coming forth and they are making their mark within their art platforms. It's a growing voice that is helping to better inform the diversity that lies within our communities. And we can't forget that. That's one thing I love about these artists and the platforms that I was able to see more of this year at this fair than ever before. This is the Fresh Art International Podcast. I'm Kathy Bird. Thank you to Miami-based artist and writer C. Joe for inviting us to see Art Basel Miami Beach through her eyes, and for illuminating her own practice in a private studio visit. Beginning November 2019, New York City will encounter selections from C. Joe's Mixed Blood Portrait Series during a four-month exhibition in Washington Square Park. Mixed, her Art in Public Places project, will be on view in New York University's Kimmel Windows.
Telling authentic stories of families who share multiple ancestries, religions, nationalities, and experiences, the photographs reveal the complexities and connections that lie within a mixed identity. Visit our website to learn more about Sijo and hear other episodes exploring photo-based art. Please take a few minutes to review Fresh Art International on Apple Podcasts and follow us on Instagram at FreshArtINTL. The John S. and James L. Knight Foundation, Emily Hall Tremaine Foundation, Locust Projects, and the Andy Warhol Foundation for the Visual Arts, the International Association of Curators of Contemporary Art, and listeners like you make this project possible. On freshartinternational.com, sign up to receive our latest news and give a donation to support our stories. Stay tuned for more contemporary art talk.